First Samuel chapter 30. First Samuel chapter 30. <clears throat> I was preparing there in Genesis chapter 17 and 18 and looking at the text here. And, um, but the Lord was kind of directing here to First Samuel 30 to the life of David for tonight. And I want to, whenever he directs that way, I want to make sure I stay obedient to that. And I trust that God will give us exactly what he has for us tonight. We'll be back to Abraham uh, next week. But we're going to look here in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and read the first six verses here of the chapter. It says, And it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. And had taken the women captives and were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, the Hino and the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself and the Lord his God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you, Lord, for your word and God, the, ability, the privilege that we have to hold it in our hands tonight. God, I pray that you give us what you have for us through your word. I pray that you be with me as I preach. God, I pray that you'd, uh, Lord, strengthen my voice tonight to deliver your message. God, I pray that you would just give us exactly what you have for us through it. And then we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I love the story of David. You know, we could look here in the book of 1 Samuel and begin there in verse 16, and we would see a young boy who, according to the eyes of Samuel, was the least qualified of all of his brothers to be king of Israel. And he was one that nobody would have expected or suspected to be the next king, but God chose him above all his brothers. We look in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we see this young shepherd boy who had been uh, chosen to be the next king, but still very young and, and far from that point in his life. But the Israelites were at war with the Philistines, and they sent Goliath, the great soldier of the Philistines, to stand there and challenge anyone that would dare to match him and no one would. And David saw all that was going on. We have that <clears throat> famous phrase that he said, is there not a cause? And he stood there and with the grace and power of God against all odds defeated Goliath. And after all this happened, he began to become quite popular with the Israelites. We know that the Israelites would sing the songs about Saul. Saul has slain his thousands. That sounds pretty good. But David is ten thousands. And they would talk about this young boy and that he was greater than their great king Saul. And he became armor bearer for Saul because of the reputation that he had developed. And, and Saul would also probably had him there so he could keep an eye on him and make sure he wasn't gaining too much popularity and, as he was the next appointed king. One chapter later, in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, he was banished from the court of Saul. And Saul instead made him a commander of a thousand men, possibly hoping David might die in battle and, and things can go according to Saul's plan. But God blessed, and David went to many more victories. And David was later given Saul's daughter to be his wife, and then we find that daughter that Saul gave him loved David very much, and, and Saul became, be, be, became jealous of that. And at the warning of David's friend and also Saul's son Jonathan in 1 Samuel 19, we fly, find David fleeing to Ramah 
for his life. And we can look at the book of Psalms in chapter 59 and see David in that moment of his life. He said, but I will sing of thy power. Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. For thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of trouble. Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing. For God is my defense and the God of mercy. You find David in all this opposition when he did not deserve any of that and he had only done good things and only prayed for and hoped for and done good things for King Saul. Saul hated him. Saul wanted him dead. And we find David with a song of praise in that moment. And we, and we see the heart of David throughout everything we've talked about already tonight. And we understand why God gave him the title, A Man After Mine Own Heart. David was known as a man after God's own heart. And God promised David he would be the next king. That meant Saul could never kill him. Even though Saul wanted to, even though he tried to, no matter what he did, it was a promise God had made. And, and no matter what circumstances came up, David could trust God at that point in his life. And, and there's a lot of parallels here we'll find in David in his life and what we find in Abraham. We've been looking at Abraham with the promises of God in his life. And even when opposition come, Abraham, with that promise, could continue to trust God. Now, he failed from time to time, and we'll see him fail again. But we look at David's life, and David, a man after God's own heart, was making the right choices. You know, for time's sake, we're not going to look at every other chapter here between chapter 30, where we are, and getting to this point. But it's been roughly 10 years that David has been running from Saul. And in the midst of all these attacks and evil intentions, David had some great spiritual victories. And two different times, David spared Saul's life when he could have taken it. You can look in chapter 24, there in the cave at En Gedi, David could have killed Saul at that moment. Another time, David crept into the camp and he found Saul sleeping, was standing there right over him. He could have killed him there. In chapter 26, he chose not to. You know, Saul chased David for years, wanting his life, and David continually chose what was right. He followed God, he honored God, and he ran from Saul. He, and, and David could have taken his life if he wanted to. And, and we understand there in chapter 26, Saul, because of this act of mercy that David uh, shown on him, David and David repented of that, and, and he promised to do no more harm to David and seek no more harm on David. And as God had promised to David, he was protected. So we see this man after God's own heart, for the moment of being a young shepherd boy, choosing the right thing in all these different circumstances, trusting God, God using him to do great things, God delivering him over and over and over again. And then for some reason here, in chapter 29 and 30, we see a turn in his life. We see David in, in 1 Samuel chapter 27. Saul had just repented of, of what he was doing. And he, he says, I will not try anymore. And then we see David basically you know, thinking, yeah, right. You've told me this before. You've, you've apologized for this before. And, and David has said the words, one day I will perish at the hand of Saul. What did we just talk about? David was anointed to be the next king. God, God had promised David what was going to be there. And we look at David, we're thinking, David, what's going on? Don't you remember? You just made the right choice with Saul again at this moment. And, and moments later, you're doubting it and about to take things into your own hands. And then David said, there's nothing better for me than that I should run and seek refuge in the land of the Philistines. So David left where he was and went to a place called Gath where the Philistines were. This man after God's own heart 
spare the life of Saul. Saul told him he'd never try it again. David doesn't believe. And now he just all of a sudden decides, I'm safer to be with the Philistines than to be where I am right now. And an interesting thing here, he went to Gath, which is the same city that Goliath was from. David went to the place of where the man was that he defeated with God's help. A wicked man from a wicked place. Seeking protection and refuge there instead of from God. I think all of us would look at this tonight and we all say that's a bad decision. <laughs> We've looked at Abraham and the decisions he made. That's another bad decision. And, and, we, and we, we really don't understand. We would, would really like to ask David, David, what are you thinking here? Why would you do this? And it's frustrating for us to see and, and, and irritating for us to see these decisions made, whether it's in Abraham or in David. And then I started to think about times in my life where I neglected to trust God in even lesser situations than that. Maybe times where there was some counsel needed or counsel given. And you take things into your own hands instead of waiting patiently on God and having him do things in his time. Maybe a trial comes up in your life or a difficult circumstance or a challenging situation comes up and, and you know what God would have you to do, but instead you start finding refuge in some things that you used to find refuge in. It could be addictions. It could be certain people, certain habits that shouldn't be there. Maybe there's a rough patch that you might be going through and in that all of, the, all of that whole time, all of that difficulty, not once did you think to turn to God or seek counsel from someone that could help you. Maybe there's someone in a financial bind or you have been before and you lay off the tithe for a week or so until things are better. Or something doesn't go right or something isn't as you would like it to be so we may, we may decide not to serve God in this area or this area and not to do this or this for God. Just like David, maybe we've been in a situation in our life where we're, we're thinking, you know, I've tried to do right. I've given it my all. I've, I've, I've given, uh, I think I've approached it with the right heart. But nothing good is happening. Saul's still after me. The enemy's still there. The circumstances are still bad. And it might seem a lot easier to just give up in that situation, whatever it may be. And that appears to be what David did in that situation. He ran right to the Philistines. And not only... Did he seek refuge with the Philistines, but he began to fight for them. Look, look at chapter 27, verse 8. It says, And David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites and the Gezerites and the Amalekites, for those nations were of old the inhabitants of the land, as thou goest to Shur, even to the land of Egypt. And David smote the land and left neither man nor woman alive, and took away the sheep and the oxen and the asses and the camels and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. So David, with the Philistines, was expected to fight the Israelites, and instead he invaded these places. And I find it somewhat comical here, and it says there in verse 10, and Achish said, whither have you made a road today? He goes, man, you have a lot of good stuff here. You took out a lot of people, we got a lot of new riches, we have all these new possessions, great job. Which of the Israelites, where'd, where'd you go? And he says, uh, against the south of Judah, you know, southern Judah-ish, somewhere around there. <laughs> I 
He wasn't attacking Israelite cities, but he led Achish to believe they were. And Achish believed him and thought he had his loyalty and that David and his mighty men would now be his servants forever. They've made an enemy of Israel. It's a shame to think of David not only running to the Philistines for help, but running to them at a time where they were looking to fight the Israelites again and all that he was associating with in doing that. David was on the side of the enemy. He and his 600 men. And his decision to not trust God for this moment of his life put him in a place that he really did not want to be in. And as the Philistines are traveling through the the country there and they're, they're taking out enemies and they're making their way, making sure everybody knows who they are, David and his men, they are bringing up the rear. They are very valuable there to that army. And all goes well until one day one of the Philistine men said, what are these Jews doing here? I remember these, these aren't fans of ours. They're, they're just tri- trying to fool us. They're going to come. And What is David doing here? Do you remember the song they used to sing about him? Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. This is a, one of the greatest enemies the Philistines had ever had. And the Philistines didn't trust David. And eventually David was sent home. He had to leave. And, but he was sent home to their new home city of Ziklag. I can imagine David thinking maybe, you know, things are turning out okay for him. He didn't have to fight the Israelites. He's, He's still protected here. They're allowing him to go back into the land there they'd given him. They're in Ziklag. He can see his family, his children, the 600 men that David has with them. They can now go home and do the same. So they head to Ziklag. They've been fighting. They've been marching with the army. Three days journey from Aphek there, nearly 60 miles from that city to the city of Ziklag, trying to get home as soon as possible. And then we get here to chapter 30. And this wrong choice that David made brought tragedy to him and his family. We look there in verse 1, and it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. The Amalekites that David attacked not too long before knew exactly where to go and who to get, and they went to David's hometown, invaded it, took everything they had, and burned it with fire. Not only took their possessions, they destroyed many of their possessions. The homes that were once there were no longer left standing, and things are not working out for David, and it appears they only become worse, not only were the possessions taken, but their wives, their sons, their daughters. David lost two wives. Couldn't imagine losing one, but he lost two. A difficult time. Everything they had was gone. You could imagine if something similar to that happened to you, if your home was invaded or or, or you were robbed, there'd be somewhat of a sense, a, a loss of a sense of security, a loss of comfort, the pain you would feel in losing those loved ones or those possessions, those things that you held precious. You know, you can rebuild possessions. You can build another home, but family isn't replaceable. And for David and these 600 men, what good were they if their families are gone? What were they even fighting for if their families are gone? And as all this happened to them, we get here to verse 4, and we find them in a great state of sadness. It says that David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. Have you ever been there before? No answers. Just caught blindsided by something and 
There's no one to help. Trials come up in your life or health, health scares come up or uh, money problems that you really weren't expecting to come up and expense here, expense there. All you can do is cry. We see all the men of David were upset and David leading these men. He is, you know, the reason that this happened to them. And it says there in verse 6, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was greed, every man for his sons and for his daughters. So not only did David lose everything, not only did he feel guilt for leading all of those men to that place to where this would happen to them, but now those men want him gone. Those men want to stone him. Those men want his life. They want revenge for what has happened to him. And they begin to blame him. And After losing everything, what could he do? Why is this happening? Turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Why did this happen to David? I believe God allowed this to happen as a wake-up call to David because David was not in the will of God. David was not doing what God wanted him to do. And we look in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 11 It says, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. And sometimes when a trial comes into your life, or a situation like this comes into your life, the first thing we need to look at, it might just be the chastening of the Lord. And when the chastening of the Lord happens, obviously it hurts. Obviously it's painful. Obviously it's not a comfortable situation or a a desirable position for anyone. But God is doing it because he loves you. And God is doing that or bringing these things into many people's lives to bring them back to him, to wake them up, to get them where they need to be. We can look in the book of Hosea chapter 4 and God said, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Seeing thou hast forgotten my law, I will also forget thy people. They have sinned against me, I will turn their glory into shame. God over and over again in the, in his, in the Bible gave us example after example of chastening. And allowing difficult times, just as we see here in the life of David, to come to bring people back to him. To correct them. You know, chastening will come to those who are living in sin. Those who are denying the will of God, and, and you may say, you know, how do I know if God is chastening me or if it's for something else? I, I, I promise you, when it happens, you know. <laughs> I can think of different situations in my life from, from the time of a teenager when something bad would happen or a trial would come, and I'm like, it's, it's that. And I, I'd go straight to God, I'd, I'd repent of it, and I would thank him for bringing it into my life. When, when you have sinned against God and, and bad things happen in your life, when chastening comes, you will recognize it most of the time, if not all of the time, as chastening. So God may allow something difficult to come into your life, first of all, for chastening. Secondly, he might just be doing it to humble you. Turn to First Peter chapter 5. If I could think of people in the Bible that needed humbling, one of the people I would think of would be Peter. I think Peter is my favorite character in the Bible. I'm hoping to, we'll, we'll, go, we'll do a study on him after a while and preach through the life of Peter. 
But when Jesus, near the end of his earthly ministry, was speaking to Peter, he told him, he said, Peter, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. He says, I'm going to be gone here before too long, and I know for a fact that Satan wants to take your life and destroy it, to toss it all over the place and, and to ruin it where you can no longer serve me. He wants to sift you as wheat, and, and Peter says, no, not me. I, I, I will not deny you. I would never do that. And over and over again, Peter just said, no, not me. It won't happen. I love you. Not too long after that, what happened? Three times Peter denied Jesus. And then we look in 1 Peter chapter 5 and we find him near, much later in his life, much wiser understanding that the devil does want to sift him as wheat and did want to sift him as wheat and, and wants to do it to anyone else as well. And, he, and Peter wrote from experience and from what God did in his life there in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse, verse 6, the one that said, not me, it's not going to happen, I love you too much. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And then look what he brings up there in verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know, Peter's life wasn't ruined in that, because of the, that pride that was in his life. That decision to deny Christ, his life, his ministry wasn't over. But there's a good chance if that would not have happened at that point, if it wasn't revealed to him at that point, he would not have been able to do all that he did for the Lord. Thousands of people coming to, coming to Christ on the day of Pentecost and being added to the church. All that God did through him, because God allowed something difficult to happen to humble him. The third, the third reason we might find something like this in our life is God may be allowing you to go through a trial to remind you to be more dependent on him. Not just to humble you, but to bring a greater sense of dependence on God. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We reference this verse on Sunday morning and again on Sunday night. A blessed person, we looked at on Sunday morning, recognizes their need for God. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are the poor. We look in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. This is as, as Paul, again, was asking God to remove that thorn in the flesh. And, and, and when, he, when Jesus spoke to him, it says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So what was being told to Paul there was that it is in those moments of weakness, it is in that trial, it is in that suffering, that difficulty that is in your life, that then you realize you cannot do anything without me. And there could be a difficult situation in your life tonight, or there could be a difficult situation in my life where it's God reminding us to look to him for help. For God reminding us to seek him, uh, whether it's wisdom or strength or, or, or help in, in, with the family or help in your job, help in the area of your witness, whatever it may be. God may be allowing a difficulty or an uncomfortable situation in your life to bring you to a greater state of dependence where you recognize him as your sufficiency. Then look what Paul said when he realized these things there in verse 10. Therefore, because his grace is sufficient, Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, 
and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. When the trials come, I'm not only uh, okay with it, I am rejoicing in it. For when I am weak, then am I strong. What wisdom in that? So God will allow things to come into our life, maybe for chastening, maybe for humbling, maybe for us to recognize where our sufficiency must be. And when that happens, what is the proper response? So David is in that moment of chastening. He lost his possessions, his comforts, his family, those things that were dear. He's in a great state of sadness. So what is he going to do? Look at the end of verse 6. If you have a pen, just, just underline this, this part of the verse. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David lost all he had. The people wanted to stone him. They wanted to uh, persecute him. They wanted him to be blamed for everything. And in that dark day, it says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. That word encouraged there is the same word we would use in the Bible for strengthen or to establish or fortify, recover, repair. You know, sometimes things in life are so hopeless and dark, just like we find David here, that the only thing you can do is turn to God. Sadly, many Christians in those moments don't even do that. We throw a pity party for ourselves or we go to other things. There are going to be times in your life where it seems that there is no one that can help you but God. And we need to be glad that God is there. So as David encouraged himself in the Lord, David remembered God. And he encouraged himself in the fact that there was a God who chose him to be king, the Jehovah God, the Almighty One. The Bible says in, in the 100th Psalm, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. That's a knowledge that David had of God. That's a knowledge that we can have of God in whatever situation you are in, whether it's a good time or a bad time, a trial or not, God is God. Not just God, he is our God. He created you. He has a purpose for you. You know, David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Because he's my light, because he's my salvation, when these difficult situations come, I have no reason to fear anybody or any situation. The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? David remembered that his God was Jehovah God. He also remembered God's promise. I'm a man anointed by God, a man called by God, a man promised by God to be the next king of Israel. And there's a high calling and promise, and it has not been taken away. And, and, and in those moments of darkness in your life, do not only recognize God as God, but then remember what you're supposed to be doing. Remember the calling he's placed on your life. Remember the things he's instructed you to do. God has a purpose. And, and in the the deepest, darkest moments of anyone's life, the deepest, darkest moments of any Christian, if they are still breathing air, God still has a purpose for that individual. There's still a, a reason for their life, and there's still something that can be done for God through their life. So no matter how dark days may get, remember your calling. Remember what you're supposed to be doing. David could remember the calling. He could remember who God is. David could also then remember past deliverances. 
I'm, I'm hoping I'm never in a position like David was there in verse 6 where people want to kill me, okay? But David here is in this position, feels guilty for these 600 men and these losses. And he's got the guilt plus the fear of them wanting him dead. They're, they're furious with him. And he's thinking, this is a pretty bad spot. And as he's sitting there, he might start to think, as he's encouraging himself, himself in God, of some other difficult spots he'd been in before. <laughs> Maybe one time when he was playing a harp and this big man throws a javelin right at him and missed him. Well, the times is a young shepherd boy, he's there in the field and he's responsible for the sheep and there's a lion there that could definitely hurt him and he kills that, that lion. He, another time he killed a bear. This other time when he decides to volunteer to fight Goliath and, and they try to give him some armor that's too heavy for him, the sword's too big and he just uses his, his sling and those stones. Those are pretty difficult situations. David remembered who his God was. He remembered his calling and then he remembered his God has never let him down before. Go ahead, go ahead and turn to Psalm 62. I wasn't going to have us turn there, but I want us to look at that together. Psalm 62. I am not even halfway done. This might be my longest message ever. Psalm 62, David said there in verse 1, Truly my soul waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, he is my defense, I shall not be greatly moved. Then he says, look at, look at chapter 56, turn back a few pages there, chapter 56 verse 3. Remember this verse. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. How often does fear come? A lot. How often do you doubt what it is God's told you to do? Or how often do you doubt your position with God or, or, or just situations in your home? Often. But according to the word of God, we know that God has not given us a spirit of fear. So when that doubt or when that fear creeps into our life, we know it's not of God. So when we are afraid, instead of there being fear, he says in verse 3, trust in God. You know, David took his encouragement from God. At that moment, there were no other people encouraging him. They wanted him dead. And David turned to God. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. You know, Spurgeon on this thought, he said, God was beginning to cure his servant by a bitter dose of distress. And the evidence of the cure was that he did not encourage himself by his friends, by hope of others coming. He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David didn't wait it out. David didn't hope that somebody would come along that could speak sense to these men. David went straight to the only one who could help him. And Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 3 verse 16, he says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit and the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love 
may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory. In those difficult situations, we have a God who loves us more than anyone could ever love us, who has for us what nobody else could ever offer to us. So he's the only one we need to go to. David encouraged himself in the Lord. We look here in verse 7. Not only did he encourage himself in the Lord, then David prayed. There in verse 7, he says, bring me hither the ephod. The ephod was a symbol of God's presence and not since chapter 23 had David sought God's will in any way by an ephod. And not since chapter 26 had he, has he even mentioned the name of God. And this tragedy has brought him back to a place where he's, he's looking for him and he, he called for the priest and for the man of God to come and to help him and to pray with him. And the prayer that he prayed was there in verse 8. He said, And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? David's prayer was basically this, God, Lord, what can we do? And in your trials and in your difficulties, that's a question we can ask of God. He says, if any of us lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. As for God's will, ask God what to do in difficult situations. And David's only desire was what God wanted, not what he wanted. We don't find David here saying, God, can you bring my my wives back to me? Can you bring my family back? Can you restore our homes? Can you bring us back our wealth? David was only asking God, what do we do? He realized he deserved everything that had come to that point in his life. and, and, And that should be the desire of every day of your life and of mine. Not God, can you bless me? Not God, can you fix this? But God, what do you want me to do right now? The trial should not be what drives a decision. Your situation should not be what dictates your direction of life. It is only what the will of God is that should dictate our direction. The direction of God. So David prayed. We look there, it says, and he answered him there in the middle of verse 8, pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So God said, go. So David encouraged himself in the Lord, David prayed, and then David obeyed. There in verse 9, so David went. As we continue, if we were to continue to read there, we would see out of the 600 men that he had, only 400 were able to even go. The others were so faint and so tired they could not go with him. Just hours after they had arrived back to Ziklag, after that three days journey trying to get home, they're physically, they are emotionally wore out. They were not ready for battle, so only 400 were able to go. David was no doubt tired. But remember the verse we just mentioned a few moments ago, when I am weak, then I am strong. They were going with an empty tank, but since they were in the will of God and doing what God wanted them to do, they were filled with the power of God as they're going out on this journey. And it reminds me of what we find in the Old Testament where it says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. 
shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God's strength is all we need. There's many times in our life in that trial we are tired. Not feeling like you can go any further. Not feeling like you might be able to serve anymore or be effective for God. Maybe a failure has come. Keep going. Do what you're supposed to do. And in that moment of weakness, God, in his grace and being your sufficiency, can give you exactly what you need in those situations. So David had this trial, then David gets back to God and prays and obeys him, and then we find the blessing. I love the way this ends. I want to remind us one last time. David brought all this on himself. And David deserved everything that could have come to him. It was his choice. He was out of the will of God. He allowed these things to happen. It was his fault. God brought this to his life. He got what he deserved. And the story could have ended there. And as we would read it, I don't think any of us would see God as anything else but being a just God. Because he gave David exactly what he deserved in that moment. He chastened him for the mistakes he made. But I love that God blessed David in spite of those mistakes. In spite of the choices that he made. He looked there in verse 11. They went on their journey with 400 men. It says there in verse 10. It says in verse 11. And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat. And they made him drink water. So God commanded them to go. They began to chase after the Amalekites. And on their way, they find an unconscious Egyptian. This guy hadn't eaten or, or had anything to drink in, in several days at this point. They gave him bread and water. And he came to a conscious state again. And they, they spoke to him in verse 13. And David said to him, To whom belongest thou? And whence art thou? And this is what he said. I am a young man of Egypt. Servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me because three days ago, gone, I fell sick. We had an invasion on the south of the Cherethites, and upon the coast that belongeth to Judah, and upon the south of Caleb, and look at what's it say after that? We burned Ziklag with fire. <laughs> so as they sought the will of God and they obeyed what God told them to do, they immediately run into this unconscious Egyptian that happened to be a servant that watched everything happen, not just in other places, but he said, we burn Ziklag with fire. I was there when it happened. God gave David a witness of all that happened, someone that could direct him right to the enemy. So they continue talking here, and David says, can you take me to where they are? I'm paraphrasing here. And he goes, well, are you going to kill me if I do? You promise you won't give me back to them? David said, I'm not going to kill you. He goes, we're going to kill them. And that, that servant says, well, I'm in. And he took them right to camp. And, and, and they arrived to the camp where the Amalekites were. And they were eating and drinking and dancing, celebrating the great prizes they had just gotten. And all night, those 400 men went around camp. And they killed every last one of the Amalekites except for a few, four, uh, several hundred men that rode away on camels. They got everything back. David found his family, they found their belongings, they got their cattle, all of their belongings back. David, out of step with God, was chastened, drawn back to God, and God still blessed. 
and in our difficult situations, don't allow it to get you to a point to where you're no longer looking to God. Don't let it push you farther from God. Run to him. Encourage yourself in him. Remember what he's done for you. Remember his promises. Without God, he thought he was doing okay, but with God, everything fell back into place. I want to remind you tonight, we have a merciful God. And to this point in your life, no matter what circumstance you have, everything you have, everything God's done for you is better than you deserve. And for me, the thing about being up here at this pulpit tonight, preaching to a church, the pastor here is, is, a, is a humbling but exciting thing for me because this is better than I deserve. You know, God wants to bless you. God desires to use you. God desires to give you joy and peace that passeth all understanding. And he's rich in mercy. And if you are here tonight and you're looking at your life and you know it's not where it needs to be, or you're in a trial right now and you're experiencing a difficult circumstance in your life, establish yourself in God. Go back to him. Whether you're far from him or not, continue to go to God. He wants to do great things for you and through you. And one of the most loved hymns that we sing is, It Is Well With My Soul. It was written by a man named Horatio Spafford, and he was a businessman in Chicago, and he lost a lot of things in the Chicago fire, and with all the stress, all the things going on, he sent his family, they were going to go to Europe for a while and spend some time resting and, and, and getting back to normal. And he sent his wife and four daughters on a ship to Europe, intending to join them later, and for a time of rest, and then they were going to be in revival with D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey. But as the ship was on its way, it was struck with disaster and the ship had sunk and he received a telegram from his wife after a while that said, saved alone. The four daughters were gone, the wife was the only one left. He made quick arrangements, he got on the ship and made arrangements to join his wife and he get, got to the place along that journey where it was exactly where that ship went down and the captain spoke to him and said, this is where... It all took place, and as he was standing there on the edge of that ship, looking into the waters where his daughters lost their lives, he wrote those words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, that was taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. If we go through difficulty, if we have suffering, if we're in a hardship, it is not the end of God's plan for you. This man could have turned bitter the rest of his life. But instead, he chose to look to God's end for him. You know, sometimes Christians get discouraged because it appears that life is going better for those who are not looking to God. But in the end, blessings are only in the will of God. Blessings are only in eternity with God. And those who fear God are able to say those words, it is well. And those who oppose God will find that that leads to nothing but death and destruction.
So no matter what is happening in your life, trust God. Trust his way is best. Encourage yourself in him. Keeping the end result in mind, knowing one day we'll be in heaven with him. Let's look at that text verse one last time. And David was greatly distressed, verse 6, for the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. He had a lot of choices, but what did he do? Read it with me. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. That's purpose to do just that. Let's bow our head and close it.